Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We would love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit our website at www.lifechurchofrichmond.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Aren't you thankful for the ministry of the choir? Amen. I'm so thankful today for the presence of God. There's something so amazing that happens when we come in to this place. Maybe it's not necessarily here, but it could be in your home, it could be in your closet, it could be in your car. But that moment where you just surrender you to Him, that moment where you submit yourself to His will and His plan and allowing His presence to guide your life, there's something amazing that happens. And I just feel like today is that kind of day that we need to just surrender ourselves to him today in this house and know that there's nothing that we're going through that he's not bigger than that he isn't able to help us through that he isn't able to accomplish great things in our life can you say amen it's good to be in his presence today Uh, before I jump into the word of the Lord today I just want to start by kind of bringing you up to date Uh, Pastor Thompson is not here today, in case you looked up here and was confused. I don't think that was a problem, but um, he's not here. I am not him. Um, He uh, is at home. Uh, He has been struggling and been down with his back this week. He was in the emergency room on Tuesday, spine specialist on Wednesday, and just been going through a ton of uh, excruciating pain. And um, they've got him on a lot of medications to control that, but even then, he still can't stand but for a very little while or sit for a very little while. And so he asked me if I would let you know that that's where he is today. He's not just laying out of church, he promises. Um, but uh, I think it would be appropriate before we do anything else in this service, before we jump into the word of the Lord, that we would pray for our pastor today. Those of you that have suffered with your back, you will quickly admit that there's no pain quite like back pain. And uh, I believe we serve a God who created our spine and created our back, and he's more than able to touch his today. Can you say amen? So before we jump into the word, why don't you stand with me together? We're going to pray over our pastor today. We're going to pray that God will touch him right now in his home and that God's presence would be there and he would know and feel the presence of God and begin to touch him right now. Can we pray together? Father, I thank you because you're a God who hears, you're a God who listens, you're a God who responds. I pray today, God, that you would touch the pastor of this church, Pastor Buddy Thompson. I pray that you would strengthen his body. Lord, respond to the faith of your people today, God, as we submit ourselves to you and surrender this need to you today, oh God. I pray for him that you would touch his back, that you would release the pressure in that spine. God, that you would do what you need to do, God, today in his life so that he can do your perfect will for for the kingdom of God. We trust you today, God. Raise him up. Let him feel the healing power of God flow over him right now. We'll trust you for it. There's no name like your name, and you said in your name we could ask anything and it would be done. And I trust in the name of Jesus today. Touch him by the power of your name and your word in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Uh, You may be seated. I want to 
also say thank you uh, to everyone who uh, volunteered and helped us yesterday with the women's conference. Uh, I am just blown away by our volunteers. Thank you so much for your willingness to serve. Even yesterday, we even had a excruciating issue that showed up and our people jumped right in to take care of it and I am so thankful uh, to our volunteers today I can't say thank you enough if you volunteered here yesterday uh, thank you so very much and for those of you who maybe weren't here why don't you give a hand of appreciation to all of our volunteers that helped they made a huge difference yesterday the folks from PER radio told me afterwards they want to do more things here because they had the they just felt like we were a class act and we did a great job leading them and helping them through their uh, through their uh, conference yesterday. I also want to say thank you to Lisa Kratz Thomas who's been with us quite a bit. She was one of our speakers yesterday, and she did an amazing job sharing her story and uh, sharing how God has touched her life. And so we are thankful uh, to be a part of that yesterday. Now, I want to thank all of you for being here today. Is that all right? It's, a, it's good to see you here. Uh, be honest with you, with the current events in the world today, it doesn't take very long. Uh, if you watch the news, read the news for one day, you look around and say, you, you'll quickly say, what in the world is going on? Uh, where is God in the middle of all of the chaos, all of the violence, all of the tension that we see in our world? And if you're like me, sometimes you look and you begin to think, if I were God, I might do things a bit differently than the way things are being done right now. Anybody ever think that way? As I dive into this message, uh, I just want to warn you up front so we'll be on the same page. This message may be a challenge to some of you because it deals with real issues and real stuff that happens in our real life. While it may not be what we always like to deal with, it is where we live and it will help us deal with the real stuff that we're facing. In reality, it's my responsibility as a minister of the gospel to give you principles that will help you to overcome tough stuff in life based on the Word of God. Because sometimes we run up against some stuff, tough stuff, that we can't find the answers to on our own anyway. We try. We'll mess around and look for answers. But we need God's Word and God's presence in our life to help us run up against some of those tough things that we face. Today we're going to consider times when God seems inattentive. When you're praying and it seems like God is not listening. Anybody ever had that problem? As a matter of fact, the title of my message comes from a Verizon commercial that was very popular a few years ago. Can you hear me now? Do you ever feel that way? God, are you even listening? Why are you ignoring me? Don't you care? Can you hear me now? Let me begin by asking you a question. How many of you would say at least at some point in your life you prayed and it didn't seem like God was listening? Thank you for being honest. You were waiting and waiting and waiting, and it seemed like God was a little uncooperative. How many of you would say it seems like something you've dealt with before? And all the rest of you, I'm praying that Jesus helps you for your lying. It's interesting how people can make it even more difficult. You've got that person in your life group that praises the Lord for everything. You've got something really bad going on in your life, and they got a parking spot at the mall. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And you're like, ah, oh, you make me sick. Then there's preacher stories. You know how everything always works out in the preacher's life stories. We tell these amazing, miraculous, true stories. 
like the time I was on an airplane because every good preacher story starts on an airplane sitting next to a lady and found out she was a crack smoking palm reader and she wanted to read my palm and I put my palm out and she said your hands your, your hands the lines there actually make a cross I said that's because Jesus died for me on the cross and she said there's heat coming from your hands and I said that's absolutely right would you like to receive Jesus right now and she said yes and then the pilot overheard and came out and said I want Jesus too and he was so excited he turned the plane around and we flew over a third world country we all parachuted out and landed in an unreached people group led the whole community to Christ and now the tribal leaders are actually the executive directors for the apostolic movement in that country today it's amazing and I give all the glory to God that's a true story that's exactly the way it happened we hear those stories and we think it doesn't happen like that in my life maybe I'm the only one but that doesn't happen quite that way Usually if I'm on the plane, I'm sitting next to somebody that's got a screaming child, bad breath, and I'm not exactly the smallest guy, but together we just kind of bang into each other the whole flight. And then my wife slaps me on the arm every time I fall asleep because she's embarrassed that I'm going to start snoring. I don't have those experiences like a lot of preachers I know. When you look at your friends and they're blessed and they have a job and they love and they, the marriage that they love and they're financially taken care of and you're thinking, they barely served Jesus for a week. I've been serving Jesus for years and I'm so faithful and they're really not. Where is God in all of this? Where is God when life doesn't seem to make sense? What do you do when God seems like he's not listening? What do you do when you're praying God doesn't seem to hear your prayer what do you do when you pray and God seems silent for those taking notes today the key thought for this I would just say that you should write this down put it on your refrigerator and keep it there for years and years and years and put my name on it so you'll never forget me it says just because God is silent it doesn't mean God is absent just because God is silent does not mean God is absent. Just because you may not hear him does not mean he does not hear you. Just because you don't feel his presence at this moment, it does not mean he is not with you. Just because God is silent does not mean he is absent. To illustrate this, I want to deal with one of the more challenging stories in the Bible, to be honest with you. I'll tell you up front, I don't like this story. I don't like the way it ends. That's just the truth. I love the word of God, but I don't like this story. I want to look at the life of John the Baptist for a moment. And if you don't know much about John the Baptist, he was Jesus' cousin. He was one of the most radical prophets you could ever imagine. He wore animal skins. He ate locusts and wild honey. And he was really popular with the common people because he didn't take anything off of anybody. He didn't hesitate to tell you if you were wrong. And he, he was rough around the edges and probably wouldn't have been invited to appear before Congress. But he was a rough dude. Yeah, maybe. Uh, in fact, it was that very attitude of standing up for truth no matter what that got him in trouble with King Herod Antipas. When I, what I want to do today is I want to give you the backstory before we see the Word of God portion of this because sometimes we read the story but we don't know the backstory and then we get confused as to why the story is happening the way it does. Anybody ever read the Bible that way and not know exactly what's happening? Well, I'm going to try to help you today. King Herod Antipas was married. And he wanted to be, he also suddenly became interested in his brother's wife. She's cute. They started flirting. You can follow the story. 
Herod Antipas divorces his wife and marries his brother's wife, who was named Herodias. They've got a major scandal. And if this happened today, it would probably be destined for an HBO miniseries. But it happened in the first century, a massive, massive scandal. And John the Baptist was up into all of their business. He was preaching on the streets, letting everybody know that what Herod and Herod Herodias had done was not right. Herodias, the wife, she hated John the Baptist, and who could blame her? Uh, he was talking bad about her and about what she had done, and she probably didn't like that very much. But Herod actually believed that John was a godly man, and so Herod had John arrested, but he didn't actually kill John the way Herodias had wanted him to kill him. So now I'd like to take you to Mark chapter 6, verse 17. It says, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So Herod respected John the Baptist for his walk with God, and he just locks him in prison. But Herodias wants more. She's out for blood. She wants that man to be killed. And the next part of the verse says, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. So what we've got is Herodias. She wants to kill John the Baptist. Herod's like, well, I don't like him enough to, I don't like him enough to, to do much against him, but I'm going to have him arrested. I like him that, I'm going to like him enough, though, to protect him from being killed. So if you take a step back and you look at this subjectively, what do you have? You've got John the Baptist, a man who did nothing but point people to Jesus, his calling was to prepare the way of the Lord. Whenever, whenever anyone would say, we want to follow you, he would say, no, no, don't follow me. Follow the one who's coming after me. He said, I'm unworthy to even untie that man's sandals. And he baptized people in the Jordan. He even baptized Jesus in the Jordan. He stood up for truth, and he was in prison for doing what was right, again, standing up for Christ. So if I'm John the Baptist, and I'm standing up for Jesus, and Jesus is doing miracles, what do I think Jesus is going to do for me? If John serves Jesus, Jesus does miracles, what do I think Jesus will do for me as John? Miracles, right? If I just stand up for him, he's going to come through for me. Most likely John's in prison just waiting for Jesus to come, and he ends up waiting and waiting and waiting. Jesus did not break him out. He didn't send one of those newly saved Christians who would do anything and they were ready to just tear down the building. Nothing like that happened. He didn't send a nine-foot-tall angel to break him out. Jesus just kept doing his ministry, and John waited and waited and waited. I have a question for you. How many of you think John the Baptist got frustrated in that moment? How many of you think he probably struggled in his faith? Show of hands. Some of you are like, oh, I don't know. Where are you going here? Actually, John the Baptist was a human being. A lot of times we look at Bible characters and we don't think of them as human. But he was. He was human. And he did what you and I probably would have done. He started asking questions. 
He wondered, wait a minute, is Jesus really who I thought he was? Because he's not doing what I think he should do right now. Is Jesus really God manifested in the flesh? Is he really the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world? Is he really the one? Matthew 11, verse 2 says, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now, that's the pretty version. But I promise you, John the Baptist is sitting in prison, and he's not going, Are you the coming one? He's going, Are you really the dude? Are you really the guy? Are you really the one that was going to come and take away the sins of the world? Are you really the one? Jesus isn't visiting him, but his disciples are, and they come and tell him, say, we got to tell you what's going on. He's healing people. It's amazing. And he heard all about the works of Christ, the deeds of the Messiah, and he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, go back and find out wherever he is and ask him, are you the one or should I expect somebody else? In other words, I've been out there preparing the way for you. I've been out there telling everybody they got to turn and they got to straighten up and live right, but maybe I was wrong. Jesus, I've been doing all this because for you and because you haven't come through for me. Maybe you aren't the one that I thought you were. How did Jesus reply to that, that statement? Let me tell you what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, hey, of course the one, I'm the one. Be cool. I'm going to be there at midnight and we're breaking you out. He didn't say, I'm sending a band of really strong men. They're going to overpower the guards and going to set you free. He didn't say, I'm paying for an attorney who's going to come to your defense. He didn't do any of that. He didn't even say, of course, I'm the one. What are you thinking? This is how Jesus replied, verse 4 through 6 of Matthew 11. Jesus answered and said to him, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Go and tell John. He sent a word to John. He sent the word of God to John, if you will, and said, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Matthew eleven six 6 in the NIV says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I think Jesus was letting John know, Hey, bub, don't fall. Don't let your faith waver. Just because I haven't answered the way you thought I was going to answer, Great things are still happening. All of the things that you prophesied were going to come are coming to pass. You just need to stand firm. So wait a minute, God. You're healing other people. You're doing miracles for strangers, and you're telling me, blessed if I, if, if I don't stumble on account of you. You didn't even come to tell me that yourself. You sent somebody else. After all I've done, you should come to me, Jesus, and you don't. You send somebody to tell me you're doing all these miracles, and yet... You don't even have a little poof of power for me to get out of prison. I've been serving you. This doesn't make sense to me at all. So what happens? Well, Jesus just continues pushing the message forward, doing miracles and doing what God had sent him to do. John continues to wait faithfully in prison, trying to believe while he's there. Meanwhile, Herod throws a party. Everybody's partying. They're getting drunk. The king had a little bit much to drink. If you thought the story was weird so far, it's about to get even weirder. Herodias, his wife, has a daughter named Salome. And Salome comes in to do a dance for the king. We don't know what kind of dance it was. I, in the purity of my mind, am thinking it was the most amazing ballet performance you've ever seen. 
She's on point. She's amazing. She could be, you know, on the great stages of the world. And somehow I doubt that was the kind of dance it was. Whatever it was, the king really liked it. He's drunk. He loves everybody. I love you, Salome. You're my best friend. I love you, too. You're my other best friend. I love all of you. That was the best dance I've ever seen. Then he says, and obviously he's showing off for his friends, he, in front of all of his party guests, he said, I'd give you whatever you want. That was such an amazing dance. Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And she's a teenager, so I know he's probably thinking she wants an iPhone, a pony, uh, two tickets to see Justin Bieber, you know, something. But not this chick. She goes, Mom, what do I ask for? Herodias, remember her? She's eating up with anger and hatred. Yeah, she's sitting over on the side, and she goes, you go ask him for the head of John the Baptist. The girl goes to the drunk king and says, hey, I want John the Baptist's life. I want his head on a platter. And the king has to say, all right. This is where the story gets amazing. It gets crazy. As the guards are going to kill John the Baptist, an earthquake occurs. The angel of the Lord appears with two flaming swords. He strikes everybody blind except for Herodias. He says, you're going to watch what's going to happen. Then under the fire of the Lord, everybody dies. And at that moment, the shackles fall off John the Baptist. The door flies open. The music swells, and the smoke comes up. He steps out with blue paint on his face like Mel Gibson and, and Braveheart and shouts, freedom! Didn't happen that way? Are you sure? Work with me a moment. Listen, that's what I would do, right? If I was God and John the Baptist is in prison and they're about to take his head, I'm coming in with every bit of power and strength I've got and I'm wiping everybody out and I'm setting my man free. But that's not what happens. Nope, instead... John dies. Mark 6, 25 through 28. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and said, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of his oath and because of those who sat with him, he didn't want to refuse her. Immediately the king had sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison, brought him the head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. I don't like that story. Herod didn't want to kill John, but he'd given his word, so he did. The story is this. John the Baptist served Jesus faithfully, always saying, I want to be less. I want him to increase. I'm even unworthy to untie his sandals. Follow him. He's the one. I'm here to prepare the way. Repent of your sins. Turn toward Jesus. Jesus had the power to rescue him, and the guard went in to see John in prison and brought his head back on a platter. That's the story. Now, that, when you look at it, you say, it doesn't fit my American version of Christianity where I get the promotion and the new house and the new car and the beautiful girl and everything in my life works out the way it's supposed to. That's how we look at Christianity. I serve Jesus, therefore my laundry list of requests should be taken care of. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit our praise report lifestyle to where we post every little good thing that happens to us for the world to see so that everybody can say, that person really loves Jesus. Right? But when you take a step back and disconnect from the emotion of the story and ask what did happen, here's what we know, is that John's desire was fulfilled. 
In other words, he had come to prepare the way for the Lord, and he did that. More so when we recognize is that God's purpose was fulfilled because the blind see, the deaf, lame, the deaf hear, the gospel was being proclaimed, the dead were raised back to life again, and people were coming to know Jesus Christ. We see that what John actually did, and more importantly, what God had purposed to come to pass, it didn't just come to pass the way John had planned, but it came to pass the way God intended for it to come. God's will came to pass, just not the way John had it planned. Proverbs 19.21, my wife loves Proverbs, and so the book of Proverbs just says some really cool stuff, but this is one of my favorites. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans, where? In a person's heart. This is what I want. This is the way I want it. This is how I want it. This is when I want it. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but are the plans that are in a person's heart what prevails? No. The Scripture says what prevails is the Lord's purpose. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's purpose is what prevails. Many were the plans in John's heart, but it was the Lord's purpose that prevailed. When my mom got sick with cancer in March of 2010, I just knew God was going to heal her. I just knew. I prayed. I believed. I prayed for other people. I'd seen other people that I prayed for that had cancer go back to the doctor and get a different report. So I just believed that my mom was going to be healed. That wouldn't be a problem for God. My mom had served God most of her adult life, faithfully, raised her children to love him too. Only she didn't get better, she got worse and worse and worse. And the whole time I kept praying and I kept believing and I knew it was going to come to pass. One could easily argue with God, but God, we're serving you so faithfully. Why aren't you answering? I, I hated it. And to this date, the very thought of the C word sends my stomach a flutter. Yet as much as I hate cancer and as much as I hate that my mom was not healed of cancer, sometimes it bothers me that she's not here to see so many moments in my kids' lives. In spite of all that, I'm not in despair this morning. God did not answer the way I thought he would, but I'm not in despair. Let me tell you why I'm not in despair. I am not in despair today because I have his word. God's Word is tested and true. Whether my experience lines up with God's Word or not, we always go with what the Word of God says because if my experience lines up with God's Word, then I know my experiences are based on something that is going to last a whole lot longer than what I'm feeling right now. Can you say amen? Even though we had my mom see the best doctors and we did all the stuff we could do, it just doesn't make sense as to why God didn't heal her and I didn't understand why he didn't and I said all those things. But because God's word is true and because God is always faithful, I don't have to understand what's going on to continue to put my trust in God. Many are the plans of a man's heart. And if I had planned it out, my mom would be here today and she'd be celebrating Jesus and running the aisles. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but God had a purpose that was different than mine and his purpose will prevail. I'd love for you to write this down as well. You don't have to understand the plan to trust the purpose. You don't have to understand what God's plan is to trust God's purpose. You don't have to understand where God's headed or what God is up to. You don't have to understand it to trust 
in it. Those are, uh, when I was in Bible college, we had a, uh, our pastor's wife, uh, Tammy Trout, used to sing this song. When you can't see his hand, trust his heart. When you don't know what the plan is, when you can't figure it out, and that's me, I love to figure it all out. I love to have it all mapped out just the way it's supposed to be. When I can't figure out what God is doing, I've got to learn to trust in the heart of God and the plan of God, the purpose of God, that he is working all things together for my good because I'm submitted to him. Some of you, you got some upper-level, very personal, very urgent problems. Some of you, you're praying for somebody that's sick that you love, and they're not getting better. There are those of you that are facing the holidays this year with an empty chair at the table because someone you love, you prayed for, and they didn't make it through. You know God could have healed them, but they weren't healed. Some of you, you worked really hard, and you're good at your job, but the economy changed, and your, your company had layoffs, and you were one of the most recent people, and so you know, you're without a job that you love. You're wondering, how are you going to get through this? Someone's here that you're suffering with with all sorts of other issues medically, and you don't know how you're going to get through. Maybe you, I was suffering with migraine headaches not long ago. Maybe you're there. You're suffering with migraines, and you've been everywhere all the time trying all the kinds of treatments you can find. You've prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed, and everybody you know has prayed, and the headaches still show up and meet you every morning when you get out of bed. You don't understand why. You don't have to understand the plan to still trust in God's purpose. Because God is still good. We, we, we get up here sometimes and we'll be like, God is good all the time and all the time. And we'll say it and we'll recite it and we'll scream it out in a, in a moment. But when we're going through, everything's falling apart around us and we're going through it, it doesn't feel like God is good. But in those moments when I can't hear him, I can't feel him. I can't see him. I don't know what he's up to. I can go to this and know that his word is forever settled. It is established. It will carry me. It will lead me. It will speak to me. It will. God doesn't have to say another word. He's already said enough if I'll just dig into this. We don't interpret the goodness of God through our circumstances. We've got to learn to interpret our circumstances through the goodness of of God. I believe today, in spite of what my circumstances may dictate, I believe with everything that is within me that God is good. Because the Bible says there is none good but one, that is God. He is always good. God cannot be anything but good. We don't have to understand everything to continue to trust in God and His goodness. You hit one of those times when it doesn't make sense. And if you serve God long enough and you live long enough, you will. You will find yourself asking, why did this happen? I don't understand. If you're like me, you want to know what the plan is? I want to know the plan. Just, God, I'll endure anything if you just tell me the plan. Just show me where you're headed. Just, just I mean, you don't even have to give me all of it. Just give me the next step. Show me the next point on the journey. Just give me something. Why won't you just show me the plan? You may ask what the plan is, and God may not say anything except remind you to trust his purpose. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. So today I want you to understand my faith is no longer in my plan. 
My faith is in God's purpose. My faith is not in my plan, and I got a plan. I promise you, I've got a plan. And I mean, it's a beautiful plan. It's amazing. I don't understand why God won't take my advice on this, but it is an amazing plan. Anybody else got an amazing plan? Those of you that don't, again, refer back to the beginning of my message. Altars open, liars repent, you know. We got plans, right? We do, man. We have them, and I mean, in our minds, right? What happens when your plan blows to a million pieces because God's purpose was different than your plan? My faith is no longer in my plan. It's in God's purpose. His ways are higher. He is wiser. All of my life is not the center. I am not the main actor in the play. I am here to serve God and to glorify him through and through. I am not the, 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 the star of the show. He is the star. All of us are just bit players in an amazing, an amazing drama that's being unfolded on the world stage that God is the centerpiece and we are just bit players. John wasn't the only one that experienced this. Jesus experienced almost the exact same thing himself. You think about it, fast forward just a few years, and in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he knew that the cross was before him, he cried out to God, my God, would you just remove this cup from me, this cup of suffering? Would you just remove it from me? Nevertheless, he essentially said, your purpose instead, God. Hey, hey, Dad, God, not my will, God, but your will be done. God, if there's any other way that is not me going to the cross, would you give me the grace not to do that, Dad? Yet not my plan, but your purpose. You know what happened? Mankind almost beat the life out of Jesus. They beat him. He was unrecognizable. Whips beat him until he was almost dead. Drove strikes through his wrists, through his feet. Hung him naked upon a cross to be shamed before the world. Before Jesus gave his life, he looks up to heaven and the flesh of Christ cried out to the spirit that had gone on before him. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. You know why Jesus understands when you shout out those kind of questions to him? Because there in moments of weakness, he had the same question. God, where are you at? I don't understand. I've done it all right. I did everything you asked. And now in the greatest moment of weakness of my life, when I feel as weak as I could possibly be, when I'm taking on the sin of all humanity, where are you at? Why have you forsaken me? But just because God is silent, it does not mean God is absent. Here we are 2,000 years later. Everything that our faith hangs on is surrounded by a moment when God seemed inattentive. 2,000 years later, everything that our faith hangs on is surrounded by a moment where Jesus cries out and said, God, why have you forsaken me? Everything that we are as a Christian is, is summed up in that moment when it seemed like God wasn't paying attention. Whenever God doesn't make sense and you cry out and you ask him, heal somebody, do a miracle, many times God will hear that prayer and will bless you 
in ways you could not imagine. You'll see supernatural healings. You'll see the miraculous provision. You will see the goodness of God displayed in ways when he answers your prayer and does even more than you could imagine because our God is that good. But there are other times when your plans and your prayers don't go exactly as you think they will. Again, the scripture is so clear. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but of the Lord's purpose that prevails. That's why we do not put our faith in our plans, but we continue to trust in God's purpose. If the musicians would come, we never interpret God's goodness through the lens of our circumstance. We've got to always interpret our circumstances through the lens of God's purpose. Today, if you don't understand the plan, and I would dare say that's about 95 or 99.9% of us, there are many plans that I don't just get quite right but so many times throughout my life I haven't understood God's plan and yet God's purpose is fulfilled in my life. Therefore, I continue to trust in the goodness of God. Why? Because he's done it over and over and over again. As they get ready to play and sing, would you stand with me today? I've struggled most of the morning trying to figure out how to end this. But what I'd like to do today, I've admitted that sometimes I have questions. Maybe I'm the only one. I doubt it. Many of you lifted up your hands earlier and said, you understand, John was frustrated. And he was, you could understand that. Many of you admitted that you've prayed prayers sometimes and, and it felt like the ceilings were brass. And everything you prayed hit the ceiling and bounced back at you and it never got any farther. I'm not the only one, right? What I, what I want you to understand today is that in spite of sometimes the perceived silence that we receive back from God, in spite of it, God is still at work. And he knows better than we know and the reality is this, if it were up to us and we worked it out our way, all kinds of other issues and problems would probably crop up. But when God's way is done, everything lines up like it's supposed to. Because he operates outside of our convenience of time. He, he operates outside of our idea of what's supposed to happen. We look at things very linear and, and progressive, and we see step one, step two, step two, step four. And God doesn't look at things the same way we look at them. Instead, he sees the end result, and he positions things to occur to get us to the end result. When our pastor's wife got a cancer diagnosis, and we prayed and sought God, and God healed her of that cancer diagnosis, there's some people be like, well, man, why did he heal her and not somebody else? Because God knew that just down the road, there was going to be moments where she was going to be able to witness and share to somebody about what God had done for her that changed their life forever. If it had been her will, she'd have never got the diagnosis to begin with. Right? If it was her plan or her husband's plan or her family's plan, she never gets that diagnosis. But... The diagnosis came to fulfill the purpose of God where she could touch people's lives later that other people will never be able to touch because they didn't experience what she experienced. I don't know why John the Baptist had to be beheaded. I don't. I don't know why. I wish I could answer the whys that we all have. I don't know why. 
But this is what I know. Jesus said, go tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. And what I know is that John served his purpose because he came to prepare the way for the one that was coming after him, whose shoes were unworthy to be unleashed by John, was coming so that people beyond John were going to be healed and saved and reached and touched and lived lives that are amazing. And 2,000 years later, we're going to talk about, I don't understand why John was beheaded, but you know what? Jesus went on to fulfill his purpose that John prophesied he would fulfill. And I'm here today because Jesus went to the cross and died for me and died for you. And now I can go on spreading the gospel message because Jesus had John show up on the scene to proclaim he was coming. And though it didn't end the way John thought it would, it was all orchestrated in the plan of God. So today you're here, you got stuff. If you don't, God bless you. I'm so proud of you. You're amazing. You are just living at a level nobody else lives at. But the rest of us, we got stuff. And if you got stuff today, you got questions. I want you to know, and this is what I love about Jesus, he's never intimidated by your questions. He's never scared off because you ask a tough question. He's not going to run away from you because you get frustrated with him. He's not going to walk away from you when you say, God, I don't understand why. Instead, he opens up his arms and he embraces you more. The Bible tells us over and over again in the Old Testament about a God who was a refuge that we could run to in the time of circumstances and in the time of storms. In him, I can find peace in the middle of my mess. In him, I can find strength in the middle of my struggle. In him, I can find help when I don't have help from anybody else. If I'll just submit and surrender to him. What do I submit? I submit my plan. I surrender my plan to him, and I ask God to fulfill his purpose in me. As they began to sing, I want to open this altar today. But before I do... I want us to pray together as an entire congregation because I know all of us, just the way it typically works out, we don't all come, but I want you to pray today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You can pray along with me if you'd like, or you can trust in my prayer today that it's good enough for you, but I want you to hear what I'm praying today. Father, I pray over this congregation right now that even though there are moments where we have doubts, we have fears, we have questions, we misunderstand and we don't always know what you're doing, that we would have a baptism of your presence on our life that causes us to trust in your heart, to know that you are working all things according to your will and your plan. All things work together, not for my good, but for good, to those who are called according to his your purpose when we are called according to your purpose and we're surrendered to your purpose god all things in our life may work together for the good that you have put together for us all things may not be good but all things are working together for good and i'm trusting in you today god i ask you to touch your people today i ask you to help us to walk in a level of faith that we believe you for those things that we're not even hearing an answer for yet God, when we're sick, I ask you to remind us of your word that says, by your stripes we are healed. I ask you today, God, in those moments when we feel unstable, God, that you would remind us that you are the cornerstone and a rock that we can build our life on. 
In those moments, God, when we feel unforgiven, God, I want you to remind us, God, that by your stripes we were healed and by your beating that you took at Calvary, your blood that you shed, it was for our redemption. And I'm so thankful for that. God, I give you myself today. I submit my plan to you and I surrender it, God, and I know that you will work your purpose in me. I trust in you today in the name of Jesus. And now this altar is open. If you'd come, we have prayer team members that will pray with you and trust God with you. I believe with all of my heart that God's presence is not finished in this house today. If you would like to come, we want to pray with you today in Jesus' name.
Sometimes we don't even know what the person sitting next to us is facing. We don't know the struggles that they had to go through just to get here today. We don't know how their plans seem like dynamite's been impacted in them and blown them all to pieces. They come here, they smile, they act like everything's great. And they go home and they go through turmoil all week long. That's reality, folks. That's where we really live. And to think that that's not coming into the church, that's just foolishness because we live real lives. We're real people. We got real stuff. I want you to know today that the person sitting next to you, they may have gone through some of the worst stuff that you can ever imagine just to be here today. We need to learn to love one another, hold one another up, carry burdens of one another. Can you say amen? We trust in the power of Christ. We trust in the Word of God. But we need to learn to trust in the body of Christ as well. And we are His body, members individually, each with our own purpose and each with our own plan. And guess what? When we work together, when we do it together, man, amazing things can happen. The body was designed, our body, our human body, was designed to be a self-healing mechanism. And when the body of Christ is hurting, we need to learn to be a healing mechanism for one another. When we are going through stuff, we need to be there for somebody. Can you say amen? Because when we're there, we're going to connect with somebody else who's also there. And before long, those things that are plaguing us and hurting us and bothering us, all of a sudden, they may not change, but we've got people that are helping to carry my burden. Does that make sense? I just want you to know today, the people of God in this room, we love each other. We want to be there for each other. We want to help each other through the tough times. Can you say amen? I serve a great God today, and I love God's people because God's people are fulfilling God's purpose in this world, and without it, we can't accomplish anything. But when we strive to submit ourselves to God, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. Can you say amen? I'm thankful for all of you. God bless you. Hope you'll be in life groups this week. Uh, surround yourself with people that are lifting you up, not tearing you down. We're going to work together and serve Christ. Can you say amen? God bless you. Thank you for being here.